Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 5, 12 through 15. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. This is God's word. Have you ever wondered why Jesus said it? I mean, I always have. Ever since I heard the, the story of, of St. Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Before he became the author of half the New Testament, Paul was named Saul. And, and Saul was looking for Christians. He was hunting them. He, he was hunting them be, because uh, he, he wanted to stop them from preaching the gospel, stop them preaching Christ. He wanted to throw them in prison, even kill them. On his way to Damascus in search of Christians, Paul encountered the risen Christ. And if you know the story, then you know what Jesus didn't say in that moment. You know that Jesus did not say, Why are you persecuting my people, Paul? You know that he didn't say, Why are you persecuting my church? You know that Jesus didn't say, Why didn't you, why are you persecuting the innocent? Now, what Jesus said is, is counterintuitive and difficult for modern individualistic people like us. It's hard for us to understand given our cultural context. But, but in this flash of brilliant light, Christ appeared to Paul, knocking him off his horse and said to him, Why are you persecuting me? Now, in a literal sense, Paul was not persecuting Jesus. The, the biblical story tells us that, that Jesus, at this point in the narrative, had already died, risen, and ascended to heaven. He was untouchable at this point by mere mortals like Paul. Paul wasn't going to Damascus to arrest Jesus. He was going to arrest Christians and persecute them. So why did Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? I believe the, the verses that we're looking at in Romans chapter 5 give us a clue to the answer to that question. It's not the main topic of the passage. In fact, it's, it's almost a throwaway comment that Paul makes in the course of that passage. But the implications are profound, and, and the truth of it cuts right through the Scriptures. St. Paul writes in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, that Adam was a type of of the one who was to come. Adam was a type of the one who was to come, referring to Christ. And if you're familiar at all with the idea of, of types in the Bible, then you likely think of the word type as like prototype, you know, the, the kind of, of, of early model that eventually finds its peak and fulfillment in Christ. 
that's not quite right. Adam was the first man in the biblical story, in the book of Genesis, but he isn't the first model of humanity that slowly gets improved over time until it finally finds its, its culmination in Jesus. Now, the word type in the Bible, it doesn't refer to early models that get upgraded. It, it refers instead to something more like the word copy. It's like the word copy. You have the copy and then you have the original. Adam was made in the image of God. He was in the image of God and, and it was a copy of an original. He was like the, the reflected image in a mirror. His existence depending absolutely and completely upon the original, whose image he was just a reflection of. So why is it that Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? It's because Christ is the original. Christ is the man standing in front of the mirror. You and I are just image bearers. We're the reflection, depending absolutely and completely upon Christ for our very existence. And that means this, that when Christ looks in the mirror, he doesn't see himself. When Christ looks in the mirror, because we are made in the image of God and being renewed by faith and the powerful working of his Holy Spirit, when Jesus looks at himself in the mirror, he doesn't see himself, he sees us. And so when Paul persecuted the first Christians, he was persecuting Jesus himself because Christ's people are his image bearers inextricably bound to Christ, to the one whose image they bear. See, Adam, the, the first human in the biblical narrative, Adam was made in the image of God. He was a type of the one who was to come. Not a foreshadowing, but a reflection, a reflection of Jesus Christ himself, who is the image of God. We saw that a few weeks ago. And so today, the first thing I want to do is I want to argue that, that types are copies and image bearers are divine copies. That types are copies and image bearers are divine copies. And secondly, I want to talk with you about how we should respond to that reality. Now, the word type only occurs a handful of times in the New Testament. But twice... It's used to refer to the tabernacle that Israel built as a temporary house of worship in the Old Testament while they were wandering through the wilderness. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, it puts that, that scene this way. It says that for when Moses was about to erect the tent, the tabernacle, he was instructed by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. And in that passage, the word pattern is the same word as in Romans 5.14. It's the same word for type. The idea was this. See, Moses, in the, in the Old Testament, at Mount Sinai, went up the mountain to meet with God. And, and when he did that, he, he was given a vision 
of God, a vision of the heavenly throne room on which God rules over all things, similar to what you would read about in the book of Revelation. The tabernacle, God told Moses to build this tabernacle that was supposed to be a type, a copy of the heavenly throne room that Moses saw. It was supposed to be patterned after the real thing, a copy. And so the tabernacle was a holy place, not because of the materials that, that it was built with. The tabernacle was holy not because of the events that took place there. The tabernacle was holy not because Israel decided that this was now a holy place and we're going to make it holy. Well, the tabernacle, the tabernacle was a holy place because of what it copied. God gave the pattern to Moses so that the tabernacle could be a copy of his own throne room. As a heavenly copy, the tabernacle worked as as a conduit to heaven. The tabernacle participated in the reality of heaven itself. It It was a holy place because of that heavenly spiritual connection. So an ancient worshiper could be said to be entering into God's presence when she entered into the holy place. The copy, the tabernacle, was also a conduit. It held within it, because it was a type, it held within it a connection to the heavens. Now, that's not the usual way we think of the word copy, right? Now, if you have a a real dollar and a fake dollar bill, you would think of the real one as real and the fake one as fake, and that's it. There's, There's no connection between the two. The fake dollar isn't a conduit of real monetary value, though it'd be really nice if it were, right? But in the case of biblical types or copies, it's a different story. For us, a copy is something that just has a visible resemblance to something else. But in the biblical narrative, a copy is also a conduit. There's a connection. The type participates in the heavenly reality. Without that connection, it's not a type. Visible visible resemblance only is, is one small part of the thing. Visible resemblance simply indicates a spiritual connection that exists between the two, allowing the type to participate in the reality. And so in Romans chapter 5, verse 14, where it says that Adam was a type of the one who was to come, what we learn is that that he wasn't simply a foreshadowing. Rather, Adam was a copy. He was a conduit of Christ himself. He was supposed to enjoy unbroken connection with his creator. If you wanted to see God's image, then you could look at Adam. You could look at Eve because they really participated in God himself. Adam was a living copy of the divine. And that is, in some sense, what it means to be in the image of God, what it means to be human, that we are living copies of the divine. 
So all human beings, all image bearers of God are supposed to be copies of the divine in that same way. We're supposed to communicate the presence of God to everything in creation. With every word, with every deed, with every thought, we were supposed to be like that tabernacle. We were supposed to be a place where heaven and earth came together, where God's presence could be said to be physically located on the earth. But if you know the biblical story, you know that that's not how things played out. Adam and Eve sinned. Adam and Eve broke their effortless, inherent connection to God. Yes, they remained in God's image, but an essential element of what it meant to be fully human had been lost and has been lost to all of us ever since. They were created for divine fellowship. So were we. But when Adam and Eve were exiled from the Garden of Eden, they lost that participation in God. They lost it. And nothing they could do could win it back. And you see, that is why. That's why the fact that Jesus Christ is the image of God, that's why that's such good news. Because where in our rebellion, we lost an essential element of our humanity. We lost our connectedness to God. Christ came and restored it to humanity by taking our flesh upon himself. In fact, in, in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says that the Son of God, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt... Is, is literally, in Greek, the word tabernacled. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of made-up verb. He tabernacled among us. The tabernacle connected heaven and earth. And just like the tabernacle made that connection, Jesus was the final and finished link between us and God. Where we lost communion with the divine, Christ has restored it. Where we lost our meaning and purpose, where now we just plunge ahead into mere work, feeding ourselves, seeking pleasure, trying to fill up the days, the hours, the void that the unmet desire for God has left within us. Christ came to heal our wounds and bind up our broken hearts. Christ is the image of God, restoring his people in his image so that we can enjoy fellowship with him. And so when Jesus said to Paul, why are you persecuting me? He was indicating the fact that he had restored the link between God and humanity. Christ identifies so completely with every single person who puts their faith in him. He so identifies with us that he can say Paul was persecuting him when Paul was throwing Christians in jail. In that one sentence, Jesus was declaring his gracious presence with us, the restoration 
of his gracious presence with us. See, until we put our faith in Christ, we have no claim upon God's presence with us. But through the death and resurrection of Christ, he grants us his presence by his grace and unites us to himself now and forever. By faith now we can be made renewed image bearers of God. That's why Jesus, in Matthew chapter 25, that's why he says there that when we serve the least of these, my brothers, Jesus says we are serving him. It's because we're serving image bearers. When we do that, we participate in him in some way. We're participating in Christ when we serve one another. That's why Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 12, that when I sin against my brother or my sister, I sin against Christ. Now, my brother is not Christ. My sister is not Christ. But they bear his image. And because they bear his image, they are conduits of his presence here on earth. And because they've been redeemed by faith, since they've been cleansed by Christ's blood, God's own spirit is now present with them, just like the spirit came into the tabernacle, just like it came into the temple. Now, Christians... Everyone who confesses Christ and walks in his ways. Christians are charged with the presence of Christ here on earth. We're supposed to be his presence. We are the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. We're charged with being conduits of his love. We're called to be conduits of his grace, mediators of his grace wherever we go. And when other people persecute us, when other people hate us, deride us, betray us, Jesus says they're persecuting him. That is the unspeakable privilege of being made in Christ's image, being redeemed by his cross. We, the church, we become the gracious presence of Christ in the world. Now, maybe you hear that, and, and your experience with the church, your experience with Christians, hasn't proved to be exactly the gracious presence of Christ in the world. Maybe you know me, and, and I haven't been gracious to you. Maybe I haven't communicated Christ in the way that I'm called to. And if that's true, I'm sorry. I truly am. My, my heart's desire, my deepest desire, is to live up to Christ in me, the hope of glory. But I know that many times in my life I have failed. And I know that my brothers and sisters have as well. So if you're listening, if you're listening and you've been hurt by the church in some way, I pray that you'll reach out. I would love to have the opportunity to hear your story, to pray for you, and hopefully redeem the past, 
and bring Christ's gracious presence to bear in your life. If you put your trust in Christ, then you need to hear Jesus' words in Luke chapter 10, verse 16. Jesus says there to his disciples, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. See, we who belong to Christ by faith are called to be conduits of his presence. We're not just called to it, we are conduits of his presence. We represent him in all that we say, in all that we do. We know, we know how we're called to live in this world. We know what God's will is for our lives. We know that we're called to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we're called by Christ himself to love our neighbors as ourselves. We're called to these things because the only things that we interact with in this world that will continue to last into eternity are God and people. That's it. That's all that lasts. And so ask yourself this question. Evaluate yourself, your priorities, your life. Is that what you live for? Do you live for God and others? Or do you live for momentary passing wealth? Do you live for pleasure that won't satisfy? Do you live for a a fragile reputation? Do you live for the the unstable acceptance of a failing world? The world around us won't endure. But God and people will. When we love people who are made in Christ's image, we love Christ himself. When we serve them, we serve him. When we fail to serve them, we fail to serve him. When we fail to love them, we fail to love him. But when we give ourselves for them, we offer ourselves to Christ himself. I pray this week that you will realize just how much your life is charged with the presence of God. I pray that that as a redeemed image bearer, you, you would understand what it means to be a conduit of Christ's presence on this earth. I pray that you'll realize that His gracious presence is with you wherever you go. pray that you would fully understand that your call in this life is to communicate the gracious presence of Jesus to all people. Will you pray with me? Father God, when we gaze upon the realities of this great salvation you've given to us in Christ. We admit that we are not sufficient for these things. God, who are we 
that we should carry the presence of Christ Jesus himself with us wherever we go. Who are we that you, Father God, would send your own spirit to dwell with us and in us? Who are we that Jesus would say of us that the kingdom of God is within us? God, we are not sufficient for these things, and yet you and your glorious, abundant, overflowing grace have poured out your blessings upon us, Father God. And so, God, I praise you for your grace. I praise you for your love. I praise you for your presence, that you would hear us pray even now. Would you, God, by the Spirit, would you amaze us at this truth? Would you simply floor us with the abundance of your mercy? And would that all change the way that we live our lives? Would it, would it lead us to carry Christ with us consciously, humbly, joyfully in whatever we go through, whatever we experience, whatever you've called us to do? God, we humbly ask that you would hear our prayer and that you would answer it on account of Christ Jesus, our Lord, who lived, died, and rose again for us. We pray in his name. Amen.